The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, and welcome to Tech Trader on Barron's Live. I'm Eric Savitz, the Associate Editor for Technology at Barron's, sitting here in Palo Alto, uh, in the heart of Silicon Valley. Um, with me today is my friend Dan Ives from Wedbush Securities. Dan covers all kinds of interesting things in the technology space. Uh, Dan is a uh, returning guest to Barron's Live, and uh, Dan, welcome back. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Dan, so so much going on in technology uh, uh, already this year, and uh, let's talk first a bit of, a bit about the broad market. So, tech tech shares had a big run in January. Um, it's there's been a little it's been a little wobblier, I would say, since then. Uh, but but as a whole, the group is up pretty substantially early in the early in 2023. How are you feeling about the group overall, uh, given a kind of sense of gloom? It feels like um, there's uh, there's not a lot of optimism right now about the near term outlook. Sure. Look, look, I think let's take a step back. Uh, I think the New York City cab driver was bearish on tech stocks coming into this year. Yeah. So I think I think tech investors is under own as I've seen tech going back 2009. Mm-hmm. You know, many yelling fire in a crowded theater, and ultimately look at earnings. I mean, earnings were much much better than feared. You know, I mean, from Microsoft to Salesforce to cybersecurity to Apple and really across the board. Clearly, it's an uncertain macro, and you're seeing that factored in. But right. I think a lot of these management teams ripped the bandaid off. And now you have numbers that are hittable to beatable. And I can tell you, I mean, sitting here in Palo Alto, not not too far from you, talking to private companies across the board, like there have been tick ups in terms of business in February. And I think even you know potentially going into March from what we saw in December and January, there's definitely some sort of stabilization to uptick that we're seeing on enterprise. And, and, it, and it kind of speaks to our overall bullishness relative to where a lot of these stocks valuations are. Okay, so let's walk through some of the things that we've seen happen. So we have to start with AI because AI is the topic of the day, right? Every company is talking about AI. Um, it's, you know, of course, this this all started with ChatGPT launched late November. It's not that long ago that this started. Uh, now, of course, AI has been going on for a long time, but ChatGPT launched November 30th. They've done a deal with Microsoft, which is, of course, the largest uh, investor in OpenAI, which is the publisher of ChatGPT. Google is working on AI. Everyone seems to be involved in AI. How do you think about the opportunity here and, and through an investor's lens? What, what do you think happens here? I mean, my view, look, I just hosted a chat GPT dinner last night with investors in San Francisco, you know, and and, and there's massive interest. And I see across the board because I, I don't think this is a hype cycle. I think it's real. In other words, my view, Nadella with the shot across the bow, with chat GPT, I think it changes the game. I think ultimately Google is caught flat footed, even though this has really been in their core DNA from DeepMind to everything else. And there's monetization. I don't even. I think maybe near term, it's on search, 
But when we go into the enterprise, specifically on the cloud side, I think there's huge opportunities that we see. So I think you have to separate between maybe hype and reality. Now, clearly some of the pure plays, you look at C3AI, I'd say SoundHound's another one. You know, you, you've definitely had them back on investors' radar screens. Needs to play out, but I think it's going to be a Game of Thrones and AI. I mean, there's going to be a lot of winners, but this is real, in my opinion, for someone that's covered tech since late 90s. So we've seen, like, hype cycles in, in tech over time, right? So um, you have, like, 3D television or the metaverse or, um, you know, uh, uh, 3D printing or, like, you know, the blockchain. Like, you have a whole series of things that happen over time. And people get super excited and a bunch of like more speculative stocks, you know, will run on some of these things. You've seen it in some related spaces, right? Like bioengineered, you know, meat or uh, cannabis stocks or whatever. Sure. And, and there's often like more, uh, more smoke than fire. In a lot of these things. To me, this feels a little bit more like the early days with cloud computing, where there was also a lot of hype. But it turned out to be real. And I wonder whether you think that's right, that this is more like the cloud and less like blockchain. Well, I talk to people across the valley, across, you know, really globally on this that are a lot smarter than me. And, and they believe it's much more like cloud and much re more real than hype. And I think that's sort of the point. I mean, it's really about the technology. It's about the potential monetization, especially when it comes on the consumer side, when it comes searching on the digital. And then you look at a lot of the use cases. I mean, you saw Salesforce just launched, you know, an, an AI tool today. Right. It's real. Now, how do you monetize it? I still think Microsoft ultimately has some of the parts is the best way to, to play it. I do think pure play is like, like a C3 AI, a sound out on the chip side, clearly NVIDIA in terms of the best way to play it. Google, look, I mean, it's right under their their nose, but but can they ultimately recover from that black eye moment with Bard? I think they will, but no doubt, it's a sort of code red, I think, at Google in terms of making sure that they go after this and monetize it. So if you played, I mean, I wrote something over the weekend that basically said, if you want the simplest way to play this, you buy Microsoft and NVIDIA and you're covered on the software side. And of course, in Microsoft's case, we're not just talking about the bank. Like they own um, they own uh, most of um, uh, of OpenAI. They're the largest investor. So they not only have access to the technology, but they should directly benefit from the uh, from the monetization. And that's why Nadella is in the left lane. I mean, Nadella recognized Google was sitting there in the right lane with their researchers coming in and out that they've done for years. And I think Microsoft recognized with OpenAI, I mean, they, they were OpenAI, they were yelling from the clips, like, okay, look at what we're doing. Everyone's like, okay, I'm not really too focused on that, except that company in Redmond. Right. And you look at that investment, it just goes back to like GitHub, LinkedIn. I mean, we took about like 10 billion. I think that's something from like a monetization perspective that, that's a 10, 12, 15x type of investor in terms of what they're going to get back. Right. Yeah, I tend to think that uh, uh, my the the focus on the, oh, some of the 
early issues with ChatGPT, right? Um, getting bad answers or sort of misbehaving uh, uh, kind of persona of like the chat of the Bing um, app early on kind of misses the point. Like I, I think that the opportunity here is so broad that it's going to affect everything. You know, I had an interesting conversation last week with someone from Duolingo, right? Like the mm. language learning. Yeah. And sure. so they're going to add, they're doing a partnership with chat GPT. They're going to have like a, uh, sort of a generative AI sort of chat bot for practicing foreign language uh, learning. It's a genius idea. And it's just, it's just one tiny example, travel planning, healthcare, drug discovery. There's a million applications for this and it's just getting started. So. Well, I think that's, and I, as an investor, I think that's the right way to approach it. I think you got to approach it like the safe bets are NVIDIA and Microsoft. Now, clearly in terms of Alphabet, that's sort of a, I, I think that's more in the com in terms right. of how they ultimately monetize it. Right. And then on the chips on software side, I think there's going to be a lot of winners, a lot of private companies. I think it's going to cause a lot of M&A, mm -hmm. you know, because of the, of this sort of, you know, race, but it also shows. I mean, the irony, take a step back, tech companies cutting, you know, really across the board, but yet significantly investing here. I just think it just shows it, it's about the next cycle, you know, in terms of where this leads. Right. So, so you mentioned that um, uh, this morning, uh, Salesforce announced a deal uh, there. Well, so Salesforce years ago, back in, in 2016, Salesforce announced a thing called Einstein AI, which was their mm -hmm. sort of AI ingredient brand, if you want to think of it that way, across their applications to add AI technology. And again, this is 2016. So today they announced Einstein GPT, which is their sort of generative AI interface that they're going to layer on top of and in all of their applications. Now, they haven't said exactly when or they haven't given all the details, but they've clearly jumped in here. They're partnering with OpenAI. Now, I, I raised this in part because this has been a hugely eventful few uh, weeks for, for Salesforce. Uh, they, of course, reported earnings last week uh, that were, to say the least, extremely well received. Um, you know, they beat the numbers, they provided guidance for next year, well, for the current year, I guess I should say, the current fiscal year, uh, with margins way above what the average uh, analyst was expecting, and the stock rallied. But they're also growing more slowly than they ever have before. And I, I want, and they have, <laughs> like, they've attracted, like, practically every, like, activist investment group on earth now has a stake in Salesforce. What's your take on where they are and where they're going? Is Mark doing the right things here? What else do they need to do to get uh, the activists off their back? Look, I think Salesforce, you know, we talked about, you know, but before earnings, I think it was set up for just one of those rare situations over the last month of a name that I'd kind of use as a, just a table pounder because you had, you know, massive amount of downgrades on sell side. Mm -hmm continue to follow each other it's it's a golden install base in terms of what benioff's built in terms of the cloud opportunity clearly grows slow and slack i still think you know it was, it was obviously a headache m a deal but once activism got in that that's all you needed because ultimately that was the wake-up call for benioff in terms of from a margin perspective mm -hmm. 
And I think you've now started to recognize this is a name. Okay, it's not the parabolic growth, but relative to where the stock was priced, it was just a mispriced asset. And I, I think Salesforce is one where as they ramp margins further and further up toward 30%, starts to re-rate even on a free cash flow basis, I still view it as a stock that has 20, 25% upside from here. So are you, um, one of the things they they talked about last week was, um, uh, was that they were, how do they put it, disbanding their M&A committee. Now, this is a company that has done lots of large acquisitions. As you point out, they uh, the last big one was Slack, which they paid, I think, $28 million for, uh, which seems like a lot in retrospect. Um, uh, if you include MuleSoft and Tableau and maybe a couple other smaller ones, you get to like $50 million worth of deals over the last few years. And the street was not too happy, I would say. I think it's safe to say with the fact that, you know, Mark, as I have said, has kind of an itchy trigger finger. Um, but it looks like they're they're trying to take that concern off the table. So do you think Mark's done for a while on the M&A front? Oh, I think. I mean, if you're M&A at Salesforce right now, I think it's it's probably you're trying to figure out what font you're using on the resume. Right. <laughs> because, look, Slack. I mean, Eric, you've seen everything over the decades. Like, that was just a disaster deal at the wrong time. Now, look, if they right. bought me 50% cheap, they bought it at the top. It was collaborative. They were even a losing share to Zoom and other. So I just always view Slack as just it was a head-scratcher deal, but pressure on margins. But again, that got factored into the stock, and and now you're starting to see a turnaround, a, a, a change. I mean, bending off, read the writing on the wall. Right. Okay. I want to talk about another stock that you've been following uh, carefully over time, which is Tesla. Um, Tesla, of course, had uh, an analyst meeting um, a few days ago in Austin um, and got kind of a mixed reaction. I think some people walked away a little disappointed expectations were really high that people were hoping they would announce like new new models and they did some new things there's a new factory they're going to build in mexico and a few other things what was your reaction to the analyst meeting and what's your current thinking on the stock look i think tesla and i'd say apple as well those events you you always weave as a clinical wall street perspective wanting more I, I think if you see the forest of the trees, what they laid out is basically a company that's going to be able to produce cars 30 to 50% cheaper. The scale that they're going to have now, Mexico is their ad now in terms of Giga, Adam, Monterey. And they talked about the roadmap, which eventually, in our opinion, is going to be a sub 30K car. Look, they're, I mean, they are in the next phase of the growth cycle. And mm -hmm. I thought what Tesla laid out, especially in a time where Rivian stumbled, Ford right. stumbled, Goose had stumbled, it was a really a flex the muscle moment. I mean, that really was Musk putting the, the sort of red cape back on after what clearly, you know, has been a choppy time if you look back the last six months. And I think it just shows it's still Tesla's world, everyone else paying rent in terms of EV. Right. Right. So were you not disappointed that he didn't do like the low cost? You know, people really want to see the mass market. The three hasn't quite turned out to be that quite yet. We're still waiting for that. It's not the low cost EV, right? I mean, um, I say this, by the way, as someone who drives a Chevy Bolt, which probably is the local one of the low cost EVs you can choose right now. 
but it doesn't feel like they've quite hit the mass market opportunity just yet. Well, because your colleague uh, Al talks about all the time, Al Root, the masses, the golden goose is the sub 30K vehicle. Right. Because when you're talking about, let's say they show the 1.8, potentially 2 million vehicles in terms of deliveries, but to get the four, five, 10 million, to start to get to the masses, you got to be sub 30K. But now you have the tax incentives. You have battery technology. That's the important thing of the day. Like mm-hmm. they're going to be able to produce it cheaper to get there. Now, look, you look at the price cause you had another yesterday that will cause divisiveness among sort of investors, bull bear. Well, they're just cutting margins are going to get crushed. So I kind of view it differently. I think they're in a position of strength from margin. Mm-hmm. They can cut demand significantly accelerate on those specific, you know, specifically in China. Right. And now is the right poker move for Musk and Tesla. When you look at the opportunity in EVs, um, and I know now that you, I know you covered not just some of the uh, new players, but some of the, you know, kind of legacy automakers now as well. What's, is Tesla your favorite pick here or would you choose one of the that's ironically the end the you know the legacy players are now kind of the upstarts right so sure um, how do you think about what's the best way to play it uh, i'll call it like uh my island pick like if i was going to an island for three sure. years tom Hanks style and like you weren't <laughs> gonna ever hear from me tesla's in the and it was like tesla's like my one like that continues to sort of be what I view as just the longer term best, in my opinion, along with Apple, too much transformation. But when I look at like rereading names, I think GM. I mean, to me, GM, what's happening there is massively underestimated by the street in terms of the opportunity, even to monetize 10, 15, 20% toward EV. And that's going to be what I view as a rereading. And then when, when you start to look at other ways to play it, clearly you could play it through Lucid. You could play it through the supply chain, like a lie cycle. That's another way to play it. Mm-hmm. Or you look at China and you look at names like Neo and BYD to, to sort of, because I think you have to play it as a basket. You know, in my opinion, names like cyber, like in space, like cybersecurity cloud, not just one way to play it. But Tesla, if there was one way, it's there, but I think there's a basket approach now. Okay. So uh, you mentioned cybersecurity. Let's talk about that for a minute. So uh, I think CrowdStrike reports uh, yep. today. Um, their last quarter was not so good. And they, they've had, so we've had like um, kind of mixed results from cybersecurity. I think people going into the last couple of quarters had the view that, well, even in an economic downturn, you don't want to skimp on cybersecurity because, you know, that's the last place you want to cut, right? But there is still nonetheless some places where people are kind of, you know, delaying purchases or dragging them out, and it is impacting people's um, spending. And Crowd CrowdStrike has talked about this in the past. You've been a big, uh, you've been a bull on the sector for a while, and and I've heard you talk before also about like playing it in a basket approach. How are you feeling about the sector? And you know, if I was going to pick, if I'm an investor. I want to pick a few names. Which ones would you play? Well, for I look, I think this. Is held up much better than fear. I mean, if you if you think about the prints from Fortinet to Palo, which was a an Aaron Judge like quarter, right. you you look at Okta. I think Crowd's going to be more along that line. Now, look, Zscaler had some cracks, but right. in my opinion, it's it's Palo, it's mm-hmm. CrowdStrike, it's it's names like Tenable in terms of ways to play that in CyberArk, and then 
you know, and then obviously forward net can use to sort of be a way to play right. because look, I think cyber is holding up more rock of Gibraltar than any other subsector of tech. Right. Yeah. Well, it's certainly like if you looked at uh, happens that last week we got uh, earnings reports from a whole bunch of uh, enterprise uh, technology companies, Box and Pure Storage and um, HP Enterprise and a bunch of others. And like on the whole, there were a couple of ex- exceptions, but on the whole, they were all fairly cautious about the outlook. Um, you saw this with Snowflake, like there were, there were a bunch of them where the outlook mm-hmm. was kind of cautious about the rest. Which of is them. smart. I, look, because it goes back to like, if I'm a managing team right now, I'm not going to get any credit for being bullish. To some extent, if I'm bullish, investors are going to be like, oh, they gave two bullish guidance that they're not going to hit. They're in the penalty box. And then all of a sudden that become a bear festival. Instead, come out, good enough, be conservative, rip the bandaid off, give numbers. I won't call them sandbag specials, SBSs, but just numbers that you could ultimately hit. Then all of a sudden you're like, as an institutional investor, you're like, okay, I could argue on valuation, macro, Fed, PPI, CPI, all the usual. Right. But realistically, like they've cleared the decks. And I think that's what you're seeing across tech. And that's why, you know, it goes back to like so many tech investors hate the rallies, negative, using the 2022 playbook in 2023. Right. The stocks are telling you something. Right. Right. That's interesting. The, um, I mean, I guess the question on, you know, using last year's playbook this year is what do you think the Fed's going to do? It happens as we sit here today. There were some comments from uh, from Chairman Powell that suggest, you know, higher for longer, sort of, which is, I think, is the, the market's sort of fear. But it, it does, I think the question is, if you start with the presumption that we're most of the way through the tightening cycle, exactly. which I think is fair, um, then it's, well, what? how does it play out after? Like, how much longer does this take? And, like, when does this... Because my view, again, I mean, this one makes a market, but others disagree. My view is like you're in the eighth inning, ninth, like wherever you want to stay in terms of this ball game for the Fed. Okay. You're not in the third fit. So it goes back to like to become obsessed with the 25 bit. Oh, it's another 20, but it just keeps coming back. Like that's it. You're still in SP 4000. Like, like, (laughs) but it just goes back to like, People that have been negative on tech for the last 12 years last year hit a home run. Right. I just believe now tech's holding up. It's a soft to no landing. You have some recession that's probably mild. Right. And then ultimately, you get into May, June, and you know this better than anyone, you're starting to look at 24 numbers for your evaluation, not 23. Now the setup is, Year-over-year comps, 24 over 23, a lot better. I think you start to have capital markets come back. Right. And it just comes back to like some of these areas. Like We're still in a fourth industrial revolution. Like Whether it's EVs, AI, out, cybersecurity. So in my opinion, it's, more, it's creating more opportunities in tech, even though last year, I mean, along with 08, were two of our worst years. Okay, so I want to um, I want to talk a little about Apple, right? So you you've been a big Apple fan for a long time. 
Um, Apple, uh, it's been a little quiet around Apple the last few months, I would say. Today, they made a big announcement. They're going to do a yellow iPhone 14. Yay. Right. So we're all waiting for like the, the next big thing. Right now, mobile, uh, the, 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 the Worldwide Developers Conference should be in June, May, kind of in that time. Yeah. I don't think they've announced the exact date yet. Um, and, uh, and there's some hope that maybe that's the moment when we see the mixed reality glasses, goggles, whatever that's going to be, headset. We're not really sure exactly. And then, of course, at some point, uh, sentiment starts looking ahead to iPhone 15 in the fall. But it doesn't feel like there's that much excitement. And like if you look at their their December quarter number, that's their fiscal um, um, their fiscal first quarter. If you look at that, those results, they were not that good. Now they were hurt by iPhone production issues. Mac sales were down year over year. Nothing looked too spectacular. And the, they don't give specific guidance, but like the comments they made on the, uh, just, uh, you know, on the March quarter were not super bullish. The stock's actually done okay this year. It's up about seventeen percent year to date. How are you feeling about Apple? What are the milestones to look for that might get the stock rolling again? Look, I mean, first off, when you think about December, you had eight to 10 million iPhones that just didn't ship because of the zero COVID lockout, right? So it was a, a supply chain issue rather than demand. Yeah. I mean, what we've seen even as of this week in terms of our checks is like China continues to reaccelerate and you're not seeing supply chain cuts. So if you start to think about it, like if, if you don't have cuts, you're really looking at overall demand that's holding in just massively well relative to expectations. Now, in terms of like what the next best thing is, in terms of like, okay, everyone, including ourselves, the AR, VR, Apple, Glass, you know, we, we continue to believe that that's late spring, you know, in terms of at the developer conference, that's something that will come out potentially gets pushed away this year, but 2023 it will come. I think the biggest thing is just you have 250 million iPhones that have not upgraded in four years. You have an install base during COVID that basically has increased by 200 million iPhones. Right. The services business is actually now starting to reaccelerate. The antitrust issues, that started to wane. It will still be there. But yeah. so, so my view, like in these types of markets, I think Apple continues to be our top pick just because from a sum of the parts, I think it's a $3 trillion mark cap. Do you think, um, do you think it's, I mean, when you, when you, one of the concerns about Apple, I think, is that like the, if you look at consensus estimates for this year, it suggests very little growth, like very minimal growth. And I wonder is, is does, and it's hard. You're at a size with Apple where to move the needle on growth takes like something big, right? Like you can't just do like, you know, I don't know, like air tags and like think that's going to move the needle. So the, 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 I guess the question is like, do you still look at them as like a real growth story? Like, or is it about, um, or maybe it's just more, like kind of a more mature business and we should get used to Apple growing at, you know, single digits. I, well, also, like when you look at the year of year, it's the FX, right? I mean, typically, yes. you know, that, that's 600 bit. Yeah. Um, look, I view Apple as we're going to go through periods 
of modest growth and then what I view as much more elevated growth that continues to sort of be in that 8 to 12% type growth rate. I think the services business, you start to look out next 18 months, I mean, it's 100 billion, a a double-digit grower. I mean, I I think that's been a big part of the re-rating in Apple. And then this is all the drum roll to what's going to be on the ARVR in terms of Apple Glass, eventually the Apple Car, we talk about 2025, 2026. And the opportunities that ultimately I think are there because of that installment. Okay. So, so I want to touch on one other current thing. And I want to get to a couple of quick uh, reader uh, listener questions. Later today, um, a couple of U.S. senators are going to introduce a bill that's going to basically say uh, we're going to give the Commerce Department more tools to regulate technology coming from uh, adversarial nations, including China. And however they couch it, this is basically the anti-TikTok bill, right? Like this is a bill that would, in theory, allow the Commerce Secretary to ban TikTok from uh, from the U.S. Now, there's a lot of people who want to want to do that. Uh, there was actually a House bill that touched on this topic, I think, a week or so ago, which was uh, was the Democrats opposed for various reasons. Um, but you still have this very active issue. And if TikTok was banned, you would think that would be fantastic news for Meta in particular, although it's Snap shares that have been rallying on this news. And I'm curious about how you think about that. That's actually this rare situation where the regulation that's being contemplated, would it actually be a huge boost to the U.S. technology sector if that, that's really true? I wonder if you have any thoughts on TikTok, their role in the advertising environment, and like, are, do you think we're really going to get a ban? Look, I don't think, I mean, look, you always have to separate between Beltway 202 chatter and 212, right? Like, I think it's probably somewhere in between. I don't think you get an outright ban, but no doubt. I mean, you're starting to see this geopolitical situation tighten right. you know, because of what's happened in China, essentially a cold tech war. I, I think no doubt meta since the cuts, since Zuckerberg has sort of read the room. I mean, that stock's been just massive sort of long from the bottom. Right. I do feel like the way to sort of play this is Snap and Meta. But I think also those names, because you start to maybe get less digital advertising headwinds overall as, you know, as, as that sort of plays out in year-of-year comps. I think social media, I think, starting to become much more bullish from an investor perspective, you know, mm-hmm. especially when you when you look into next year. But look, TikTok, it's it's a huge X variable because you know, for so long the beltway, they talk, right? But it ultimately ends up just being talk, antitrust and others. Right. Here it feels like there is a real, real push. So I do think there's, you know, there's definitely some twists and turns ahead on the TikTok side. Yeah, it feels like a regular a regulatory move that you can do uh, if you are in Congress that doesn't directly impact your constituents. Exactly. Other than, other than, by the way, like uh, people like my um, college student daughter, who right. So I think there are actually there's there's a potential that they may be missing a little bit, like the implications of having a whole lot of users um, who are unhappy about this. 
Well, and then, and then the irony is, you know, you ban TikTok, but you go to your iPhone with everything made in China, your refrigerator made in China. You, you know, so it's it's the irony, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So if you look out, uh, so kind of a few, you know, a few uh, listeners were kind of asking about, like, if you if you you have a long term view, if you're going to look out five years and you're going to pick, you know, three or four names, you're just going to buy and hold. You're not trading in and out of them. You mentioned Tesla as one, like your desert island stock. Like, what are your other desert island stocks? Desert I mean, island stocks, or you know, somewhere in the Pacific, yeah. <laughs> with Kona, with Kona Coffee, as long as it's there. Yeah, still have Kona. Um, Tesla, Palo, Microsoft, and App, and, and Microsoft and App. And there's like those, like the four horsemen. And there was like those to me are just the like. If I look at like where the trends are, I want to play cloud, cybersecurity, you know, EV, and then what I view with Apple is is really playing the best install base of any technology company and maybe any company on earth. Well, you know, what's notably not on your list is anything in the semiconductor space. And I, I wonder, um, and I'm not sure you covered them directly, but if you think about, that's been a very difficult place lately, then in part because the PC market's been weak, that's a huge contributor to what have been softer prices. We went from like, we had this giant pendulum swing from like no one can get parts for anything to we have too many parts for everything. And so that's hurt pricing. Do you have any sort of higher level thoughts about the outlook for semis? I think NVIDIA, if there's the Tom Brady of semis, it's <laughs> NVIDIA. I mean, Gelsinger and Intel, they'll just be dog ate the homework every quarter. Right. I mean, they might, they might blame the world or the weather one quarter, but I just think in semis, like when you think about like, how do you play AI? How do you play some of these trends? I mean, clearly NVIDIA has really, I think, separated themselves, you know, along with AMD. Right. Well, and I think one of the things that's interesting about NVIDIA is it plays every hot button trend. So they, it's an AI play. It's a cloud computing play. It's a, it's an AV play. I mean, they, they've, uh, They've got a big um, AV platform as well. And, and then to your point, like some, especially in this market, I think across the board, investors are like, wow, but but what are you going to pay, you know, relative to you know, 5%, you, you know, it's priced. But right. it goes back to like, if, like, and it's just always been my view going back to 99, like you're not going to get a Ferrari for 30 grand. You're not getting a Gouillard pocketbook at three hundred dollars. You're not getting an Aviator Nation jacket for a hundred dollars. The right. point is, like the premium names with growth, and there's not a lot of them. You're gonna have to pay for. Right. So those, and again, it goes back to like, if you've been negative on Tesla at ten billion, you hate them at a trillion, you despise them at six. You're just never gonna see it, right? There's some people like, you know they were negative on Brady coming out of 2000 draft, right? So the <laughs> point is, it's just my view for premium, you're always going to have to pay a higher multiple. Okay. I want to, we're, we're almost out of time. I want to, we're actually a little past time, but I want to ask what one last name. When I, when I think about the large cap names, um, the one that we haven't talked about at all really is Amazon. And like Amazon, Amazon has um, had kind of a terrible year last year. It's doing a little better this year as a stock, but not 
it's up 10, 12 percent, something like that year to date. But it was it lost like half its value last year, was under pressure because of concerns about e-commerce. There was concerns about like uh, deceleration in the cloud, you know, a little bit some of this in Microsoft, too. And sort of so there's kind of this sense that they dramatically overshot on hiring. They've been laying off, laying off people. They they like every deal they want to do is coming under scrutiny from uh, either from the FTC or the Justice Department. But to me, this, it's like on your point about the cloud, it just does seem like this is a fairly reasonably priced bet right. on, on cloud. Now, I'm kind of curious about how you feel about Amazon. Look, Andy is like, I, I think one of the best leaders out there. I, I just think to taking over everything in terms of that bloated structure and obviously some of the other sector, down, it's been a tough, obviously, 18 months for Amazon. But I believe like they're they're gonna come out of this potentially stronger on the cloud in terms of where this ultimately shifts. Right. I think numbers the deck's been cleared on the consumer side in terms on e-commerce, right. and I think as a as a stock for the first time in years, it's just not in favor. But I view that's another one over the coming years. It's hard to not you know, to not own Amazon when you want to play broader tech trends. Got it. Okay. Um, I'm going to stop it there. We've run out of time. Dan, thanks so much. Always fun. We could keep going all day. I know you have to go uh, fly off to your next, uh, your next place. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'd like to invite everyone to join us again tomorrow uh, for International Women's Day. Uh, Market Watch Deputy Personal Finance Editor, Leslie Albrecht, will be talking to Catherine Vallega, who's a certified financial planner about the unique financial challenges women face and how to address them. Thanks to all of you for being with us. Please be well. Have a nice day and uh, stay safe. Come back soon. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.